In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. As I'm sure you are aware, this past Saturday, in Rome, there was the ordination of 27 transitional deacons for the prelature, ordained by Bishop Juan Ignacio Aretia, who is the secretary for the Pontifical Council of Legislative Texts. Those are the people responsible for everything that has to do with canon law in the church. And uh, these uh, 27 deacons were ordained in the International Seminary of the Prelature, called Cavabianca, where young men go to be formed to be priests. And there were 27. I know that there was a very young Japanese one there. At least he looked young. Um, there was the first Lithuanian, who also looked quite young. And uh, there was a Montrealer, from, uh, originally from Syria, who has only been there very recently. His name is Fadi, Fadi Saraf. And, uh, well, he was ordained along with the others. And they were from other countries, from Côte d'Ivoire, from from Portugal, from Spain, from um, uh, well, different countries, uh, a, good, a good number of countries. I think also Croatia is among them. And so, no doubt, uh, seeing this, we are filled with thanksgiving. And as you may have seen in the internet, the ordination took place in the church of the International Seminary called Our Lady of the Angels. And it is a beautiful church built around, 19, around 1970 or so, built about the same time as the Shrine of Torcidas. So it looks very similar with a large, large Spanish-style uh, radible with an image of our, our Lady surrounded by myriads and myriads of angels. And then different scenes from the life of Our Lady, all in high relief alabaster, painted and gilded with gold. And uh, the name of the entire building is called Cavabianca. Cavabianca means, well, white, white cave and refers to a quarry, a stone quarry, where Romans had for a long time quarried some kind of white stone, some kind of, uh, uh, yeah, white stone for the building of, of buildings in that area. And in this case, uh, the prelate, Monsignor Ocaris, was in choir. Since he's not a bishop, he cannot ordain these, these members of the prelature, but he has 
authority over them. He decides where they're going to go and what their role is going to be, not the bishop actually ordaining them. And of course, the whole situation was rather, rather precarious, as you can imagine, everybody wearing masks and... Uh, they were not able to invite their families, as is normally the case, because of the pandemic. And uh, the choir, everybody in the choir had to be up, up in the choir, the lay people all in the choir, the, everybody distanced, and it was all clearly very well choreographed, everybody keeping their distance and so forth. And, and so, as well as seeing the prelate there in choir, there was a certain amount of, uh, of course, lots of joy at seeing the ordination, especially the moment of the prostration where they prostrate themselves as a sign of um, complete uh, gift of themselves and their whole life. It's a beautiful gesture, really, which they will repeat again when they are ordained in May. And and yet the whole, the whole ceremony seemed... Uh, there, there was a both, you could say, a tinge of, of course, happiness at having these young men ordained, but at the same time, the circumstances seemed so evident, right, that this, this was difficult, dif difficult circumstances. But yet, at the same time, another layer would suggest that everybody was very positively taking advantage of this situation for their sanctification. There was still, you could sense, though everybody's face was covered, an amount of a great amount of joy, not just because there were these new deacons being ordained, but also just a joy to accept the restrictions of the moment, and maybe it's going to be a long moment still. And in his uh, homily, the bishop Juan Ignacio referred to the Gospel of Saint Matthew, chapter twenty-five where Jesus describes the final judgment, where, well, I, I actually I, didn't, I don't have it on me, but when, you know, he says, when, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and be, before him will be gathered all the nations. This is Jesus speaking about himself, gathered in front of the nations, seated in his throne, of course, a reference to the Feast of Christ the King, that was the eve of, of Christ the, the King. And our Lord is presented here as both shepherd, because he's, shepherd, he's, he's separating the, the sheep from the goats, but he's also on the throne. So he's also presented as a, as a king. And... As a shepherd, he is presented as one who has spent years caring for his sheep. And now he's done that, now he's, he separates them. The good ones on his right, the bad ones on, on his left. And he gives a reason why some go on to the right and some go on to the left. But he does that also because he's king who judges those that he places on both sides. And indeed, Jesus himself says that he will be the king who will judge. And then he judges all of them, making clear the reason for the sentence that he gives to each one. For I was hungry and you gave me 
food, I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. Well, if I was hungry and you gave me food and you drink, then, yeah, then you come, you know, come into the joy of your master. And none of the, none of the sheep who, well, the sheep that are good, right, that, that, that enjoy the, the joy of the master, they don't seem to be aware of what has happened. They don't seem, they, they seem to be clued out. Like, they, when, did we, when did we give you food? When did we do, give you drink? And uh, you know, they, they, don't, they don't seem to know that they've done this in the least of their brethren. That Christ was indeed present in all the people around them during their lifetime. That people were quietly begging for a generous response in all the situations of life. And some did not see Christ in that and did not respond. And so far as you did not do it to the least of my brethren, you, you did not do it to me, he says. And uh, it shows how, or to what extent our Lord, who is always just, who is always telling the truth, who is always impartial, has truly personalize all these actions. Any good action that you do, any good word, any good gesture, any kind thing that you might do, he takes it personally. He takes it in a personal way and an action towards our neighbor, an action towards a friend, even a prayer for somebody. Any gesture of service, he takes it as being done to him. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my, these, my brethren, you did it to me. If we could understand the, the value of these words, the extent of these words, the implication of these words, we would be, well, maybe we would, it would have an effect on how we're living this pandemic. And the, you could say, the grace of this pandemic. And yet, of course, in this passage from the Gospel of St. Matthew, we see that there, were, there are those who are, seem to be surprised. And indeed, this pandemic has affected us all, us all in different ways. We, we don't need to go over all the different ways that it has affected us and the economy and so forth. Some have died, some businesses have crashed and so forth. It's been, we, everybody knows it's, it's been difficult. But... There is a grace in this pandemic. And it's a grace that, again, like these people who are standing in front of the throne and are being separated by the shepherd and judged by the king, uh, they, it's as though they missed that grace of their life and they didn't always understand that they were serving the king, they were serving Christ in their life. And uh, this is a grace now in the, in the pandemic that we have to seek out, that we have to find out. It's not a grace that says that, well, it all will pass and then we'll get the vaccine and we'll move on and it's fine. And some are saying that, you know, some, that there's ideologies out there, you know, in the sense that 
the grace of the pandemic, what is it? Well, some are talking about sloganing, there's sloganeering going around, building back better, buzzwords uh, suggesting that we have to reset everything, start everything anew, according to, of course, our own ideological agenda, uh, whatever ideologies these may be, often without God, excluding God, excluding freedom of religion, even religion of uh, freedom of conscience, with, with uh, words that sound appealing, um, and, uh, you know, like uh, taking care of the marginalized and things like that, but, but that are really code, they're really code for really radical ideologies. That's why there is a grace for us to discover in, here in this time. Maybe, maybe it's, it's possible that I've been blind to the Christ that has been around me during this time. Maybe I haven't really learned the delicate task of serving In this ordination, well, these, the, the whole purpose of a deacon is to serve. That, that was the origin of deacons, that, that, that when the priests uh, the first uh, or, you know, ordained, the first priests, uh, they, they were there to help the apostles, but then they were serving at the altar, and then there were many other things that they needed, so, so they ordained deacons to help, not so much to be priests themselves, but to help at the service of the altar, at the liturgical service, and also material needs, because the apostles and the first uh, successors were very busy instructing and, and healing and, 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 uh, and uh, well, celebrating all the sacraments. So they needed those to help them. That was the origin of the, I mean, there's more to it than that, I suppose, but the, uh, the, that's the origin of the, of the deacons. Many of those eventually also became priests, where we have transitional deacons. But there is that delicate task of discovering where I can serve. Maybe I can serve more just by, you know, just by good humor. That I become a person of good humor, that I can be a person who can be counted on to be there when I'm needed, that I can respond to texts or phone calls in a certain way that I could even be counted on to overcome my own grumpiness. Clouds that, that overshadow me because not everything has always gone as I expected. Or, or if, if I, might, I might get a little bit tense and nervous in front of many things to do or, or the stresses of the day. So I can serve by just being more orderly, just being more serene with others. Overcoming Pessimism is a great sign of, um, of service, even if you could say of leadership. I know that some of you here, you're watching me there from that uh, little screen there, that uh, you must be experiencing screen fatigue. As they, I think that's what they call it, screen fatigue. People watching the screen like this, you know, and uh, learning everything on the screen, and it's... And... Uh, requires refocusing and paying attention in a new way. Well, certainly we have to discover this situation and let's not be overly dire about it. 
Because no matter what, Christ is still the king of the universe. Even if we don't see him explicitly reign now. You know, the, this feast that we celebrated on Sunday, the Feast of Christ the King, was instituted at a time in the 1920s by Pius XI, at a time when there were very, very powerful dictatorships that were rising throughout Europe, many of them secularists uh, that sought to crush the church and, uh, and, and didn't want, uh, of course, and there were many martyrs, uh, so forth, uh, but Pius XI says, no, Christ still has to reign. And we have to discover how that reign takes place, even if it may be hidden, and indeed that we can continue to do apostolate and evangelize, even if to a certain degree you could say that the church is somewhat kind of like imprisoned. It's kind of like imprisoned. It's, it's squashed by by the powers that be, by political powers, by certain groups that don't want the church to have an influence. But it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. The church still has to evangelize, even if it means dying, even if it means being in prison. I mean, after all, St. Paul was in prison for two years and he evangelized and he wrote letters and indeed was very, very effective. He's a hidden king. He's a hidden king. And I was quite struck reading the life of uh, St. Edith Stein, who was a philosopher who had been Jewish and she was uh, atheist for a while. She met Edmund Husserl and studied uh, phenomenology and uh, eventually, uh, with time, she... Well, she was a very, very good uh, theologian, not theologian, a philosopher. She actually studied um, St. Thomas Aquinas and actually translated some of his, uh, well, I think she translated the Summa on the advice, of, I believe it was Edmund Husserl. But it was a break with her phenomenological studies. And in any case, with time, she eventually received the grace of uh, conversion. She was baptized and eventually, uh, as you know, became a Carmelite nun in, I believe it was like 1930, uh, something like 1935 or something like that. And, um, and she, she wrote a lot of letters, she wrote papers, um, and, and she sometimes wrote kind of historical commentary of the, of the period of history that she was living in. And she considered it very much a grace to be living in this time that she was living in that, of course, was virulently, in Germany at least, uh, anti-Semitic and, uh, um, and, and the rise of all these dictatorships, fascist dictatorships that she was seeing, many of them anti-religious, also anti-Catholic, uh, the rise of greater violence, uh, and other forms of ideologies that were, many of them, very violent. But she sees it in a much greater perspective. Interestingly, she doesn't mention the, the Spanish flu, the pandemic that took out, uh, who knows, 30 million people at the time. She doesn't mention that. But uh, So, who knows, maybe in a few years from now, nobody's going to mention the, the coronavirus. Who knows? But... Uh, 
although I would doubt that, you know, now we have so many, uh, so much information, but. But he is our king, our king, Christ is our king, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. That we believe. And we can ask ourselves now in this time, well, do I really love God? If I had a thermometer of the love of God right now, if I had a thermometer, you have a thermometer, you put it underneath your tongue, you can tell if you have a temperature. I presume that none of you are ill now. Well, you probably wouldn't be here because if that might be a sign that you have COVID. So, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but if you had a thermometer of the love of God, well, how would you know? Like, uh, what would be that thermometer that I love God? How high would that love of God be? What temperature would you have? Well, this is what St. Therese, Therese of Avila said. The sure sign that we love God is our effort to love our neighbor. Our effort to love our neighbor. For although we cannot measure our love for God, we can see what our love for others is like. We can't really measure our love for God, but we can see its expression. And of course, these deacons have been ordained in order to serve. And uh, we pray that they will be able to serve. And already they have received a grace. The grace that they're being ordained at a time when their families cannot come and they have to offer this up. But let us think that this will be a special grace of the pandemic for them not to have their families. I mean, it's, imagine it's, a, it's, a, it's such a... It's such a great grace to, to, to have your family there. For some of them, the families don't practice or something like that. And, and uh, it's for them a, a beautiful occasion to see what it re Catholicism really is in Rome. And it's a marvelous, uh, it's a marvelous grace. But none of, none of the parents could go. Nobody could go. Well, I guess they watched it online and so forth. But, uh, and of course, each period has its grace. Edith Stein had her grace. St. Teresa of Avila had her grace living in that time. We have our grace now living under the pandemic. It's value. There's something we can do. We can serve others better. And, um, and so let's see how we can really live that spirit of service. But, but, but I would say that to, to, to live the spirit of service during the time of, of the, the, I would call it that, the grace of the pandemic. If it can be normal for you to consider this the grace of the pandemic, meaning that there's a grace available for you to grow higher in holiness by the way you serve others, expressed by the way you serve others. And uh, that way we, we can really say it would be our way of giving glory to God like they did in, in those years in the 20s in, in Mexico when uh, they were capturing Catholic leaders and priests and they would be shot by the reigning government of the time and many of the people 
just before they were shot, would scream out, Viva Cristo Rey! Long live Christ the King. Like Miguel Pro, was a layman who was lined up to be shot. They offered him, they offered him a blindfold. He said, I go without the blindfold. I want to stare in your face as you shoot me. And he put his hands in the form of a cross. And that's the last thing he said. Viva Cristo Rey. They shot him right in the heart. He was killed. And this became a tradition such that the, some of the, well, some of the commanders uh, were trying to avoid people screaming out, Viva Cristo Rey, just before they got shot. So there was this young man, I think he was a, a boy, really, Jose Sanchez del Rio, who um, was going to be gunned down, but the commander of the firing squad said, okay, forget it, we're not going to shoot him. I want you to bayonet him. I want you to bayonet him so that he cannot scream out, Viva Cristo Rey. And, um, and so they stabbed him with his bayonets, but nevertheless, he, as he was about to speak, the, um, the commander said, say, now say, death to Christ the King. Muerte, or whatever it is, Muerte Cristo Rey or something. And he said, apparently he said, Viva Santa Maria de Guadalupe. <laughs> so, so, you know, uh, whatever. Long live Our Lady Guadalupe. So, and then they stabbed him and he died. He was a martyr. So, you know, he got the last word basically, right? So, I don't know if we'll get the last word, but, uh, but there is a grace of the pandemic that our, our Blessed Mother will win for us. She'll intercede for us so that we too can say, Viva Nuestra Señora de Guadalupe. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede.